National Fire Radio. National Fire Radio presents. I wish my head could forget what my eyes have seen. Ten years ago, the groundbreaking firefighting movie burned took audiences closer than they'd ever been. Into the fires and into the lives of the men who fight them. Ten years in the making, the long-awaited follow-up is finally here. The workload has increased and manpower has decreased. Burn X explores stories and characters you've never seen before and continues the journey for many of the Detroit firefighters you met in the first film. Fire class, 2019. Yes, Order your two-disc ultimate edition of Burn X on DVD and Blu-ray at burnstore.com or get it for streaming and download on iTunes, Apple TV, Amazon, Google Play, and Voodoo. What is a man's worth that doesn't make the world a better place? into the daily episode real quick i want to talk about the 10 of the month club from taylor's tins national fire radio is the 10 of the month for december 2022 right now our tiller time logo is going out the door from taylor for the 10 of the month club 30 dollars for the tin five dollars of every tin goes to an organization of our choice we chose the joey d foundation the lieutenant joseph p d bernardo memorial fund they are doing incredible things their mission is to give back to our own through firefighter escape systems firefighter safety and survival training and lectures it's an incredible organization so i need your help after the podcast go to taylorstins.com order the tin of the month thirty dollars you can put it in a stocking wrap it up as a gift or just put it up on your shelf knowing that you supported us in an incredible cause so i appreciate you I appreciate you for going after this podcast and ordering a 10 of the month. It means the world to me. Shoot me a DM or an email, nationalfireradio uh, at gmail.com, or send me a DM on social media. Let me know you ordered on. We'll get some swag out in the mail to you, a couple stickers, whatever. We'll get something out the door on top of the tin. So please, let me know you order one. Go to taylorstins.com. Order the 10 of the month club. It's tiller time, baby. It's a beautiful shield going to a good cause. Thank you. Without further ado, the daily episode. Hey, everybody. Jeremy National Fire Radio back on the podcast this morning. Today, I got a very special guest. I say that every single episode, but this is what I love about what I get to do. I get to talk to guys in the industry that are making a difference. And Todd, you are no exception, sir. Todd Edwards retired out of Hotlanta, Georgia, 30 plus years in the fire service, retired as a captain out of Atlanta. Brother, thank you for joining me once again on this show. Oh, no, thank you. It's always, 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 always a pleasure to get to talk to guys and especially be a part of something that's making a difference uh, in the fire service as a whole. And that's that's what I truly love about these episodes and and uh, getting to speak with uh, guys like yourself and, you know, guys like Corley and uh, sure. you know, so many great, incredible people out there. And it's making a difference. I can actually see it making a difference where I'm out and uh, teaching. And it's it's really cool to see um, how this is pushing the fire service forward. I'll tell you, man, it's a lot of fun, and uh, I consider myself super lucky and uh, to be a part of this. And I, I do, I do agree with you. You know, I don't know how to measure impact, but I look at downloads, I look at how many people are listening to the episodes, and I have to believe. And and not only that, but through the statistics of it all. Before we hop into it, this is a little nerdy stuff, but you know, with <laughs> podcasting and stuff, you know, you look at downloads, you look at how long people listen and how long people complete the episodes, and like our completion rate is like really high. 
And so that means that people are enjoying the format, they're enjoying the conversation, and they're enjoying the length of it, right? That it's not too long and people aren't dipping off and not coming back to it. And so that's important to me. So we've been trying to keep these sessions to like 45 minutes to an hour, no more. It's a simple conversation. Um, And so, and I know you have a, a ton of passion to share today and it's fun. I didn't know you up until just a few years ago. And then uh, you did your first episode on national fire radio with Rob. Then you and I met, I fumbled and talked to like funny story down in Texas with you, which was hilarious. And you did just get your tin, right? Finally. Yes, I did. I finally, finally got my tin. It's in my oh office. My I got on display. And, so uh, embarrassing. I love the note on the back of the tin. So that was yeah. pretty cool. <laughs> Brother, so embarrassing for me, man. And, uh, you know, real quick, because not everybody listening knows the quick story, but you and I were at a conference in Texas. And I, I handed out, we were talking about tins and you're like, oh man, I'd, I'd love to get one of those. And I'm like, Hey, you got to be on the show. And you were like, I was on the show. And I'm like, Oh my God, we forgot to get you a tin. And to, listen, <laughs> I'm such an ass man. And I was like, all right, well, totally my fault. Cause Rob had done the interview. I was out. There was some medical things going on that time of the year. And so my brain was elsewhere and, uh, and I just spaced on it, man. So I was like, man, we got to get you back on. I want to get you a tin. So we did it right. We finally got you one. Put it on the wall. I hope it means something to you. I'm sorry for the it delay, does. but it makes for a fun story. And yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> and that's what this is about, man, the laughs. I know you laugh a lot. I know you're super dedicated and passionate about paying it forward through training. Fire Life Training Associates is your company. You founded it with your family, which I love. I think that that's incredible. I want to talk about a couple things that are in there. But I just want to know, like, where does that passion for training come from? I mean, you talk about, you know, watching guys get better, watching your people succeed. And that usually happens through dialed in training. Where did that foundation come from for you? Like, why are you so passionate about instilling good training in the people? The initial, the true uh, uh, first layer of that foundation started at 16 years old uh, as a cadet uh, in Ohio. My dad was my first fire chief. He was relentless about making sure that all his volunteers were the best and highest trained. And um, he would spend more money on the training budget than on anything else because he knew how important it was for, you know, 16 year olds and 21 year old kids doing the damn job That's awesome that they were fully prepared he didn't he didn't look at it as volunteers he looked at it as us as professionals and um that's how he treated everybody and i've just carried that all the way through my career and and i was so lucky to be with uh, a captain in atlanta that every day we trained there was no off days it was yeah. every day we whether and this was when he literally would write questions on a chalkboard in our kitchen no kidding calls calls all in and we'd start running and did, we'd start doing questions it was amazing did you find your way to that house because of that cab because i'm looking at the parallels here like you you grew up in a house that i i guess was just uh, a firefighter's home right a lot of us are yes. so familiar with that then it's your volunteer <laughs> early roots that like instilled the value of training your father as the chief and promoting the training and then you find yourself down to i'd love to know how you got to atlanta we'll talk about that in a sec but when you got to atlanta then you find yourself in a company where your your captain instilled training into you every single day there's a lot of parallels there it's either incredible luck or you found your way there because that's what you were looking for it was in all reality it was incredibly i just got lucky to be assigned to that captain and uh 
Uh, I was so when he was our captain 38s, when he got when he got bumped out of our house and moved to a busier house. I mean, 38s was a busy house. And then he got bumped to even a busier house. And um, at that time, (laughs) the captain pretty much ran the organization. He said he wouldn't leave without taking me and another firefighter with him. And wow. So we both went with him to that house and that training tradition to, you know, after every fire, we'd go through that house and show us how to open up the framing around windows and what to be looking for and checking attic spaces. And it just on and on and on. There was never, he never missed an opportunity with us. And I, I felt that was, uh, that's what I carried, you know, when I started promoting up to the chain. Yeah. So let me ask you, so not only then did he instill the training aspect into you, but you also instilled the importance of being a good boss and confidence, right? Because for, for him to break down after a job and take you guys back into the, the burned out room or building that you were just in and to go over what you guys just did. I mean, that I think is the best training ground you can get, right? I, I don't know if you would differ with me on that opinion, but man, to be able to walk back and see what you just did and be able to talk about the good and, and obviously the bad, right. Sure. And, uh, and so on. But you know, for a boss to be able to do that, that's a guy that believes in his people and he's confident in his own skills. Yeah. And he knew, I mean, he knew when we were, you know, uh, that time he was the truck captain. And, uh, when the Lieutenant was off the, you know, we would rotate up on the, be in charge of that, uh, that engine company that day. And he didn't, he didn't treat us any differently. He, he treated us like we were lieutenants as firefighters and you're riding up. And he, and I took that with me as a, as a Lieutenant, a captain, as a BC, I took that same pedigree, you know, you're in charge. I, there's, it's not like a, you get a hall pass because you're not the paid lieutenant that day. Yeah. You still have the same exact responsibilities. Yeah. And, and it, that it, came from training. Yeah. Yeah. And we're talking about Atlanta. I mean, you guys, so this is, these are companies that are probably doing what, 20 plus runs a day? Oh, yeah. Yeah. 38, right. uh, 16 house when I was there, you know, 20, 25 calls a day was, you know, norm, anything right? less than that, you felt like you had a day off. Yeah. And and my point is with that is that even companies like that, you still found the time to train. Yes. It, it didn't matter. Right. And sometimes the drill went on at 730 in the morning. Sometimes the drill was uh, after dinner. But we there would be something. Uh, some way, somehow we were doing drill, uh, this, you know, he, he would handwrite on the chalkboard, a map of the territory. And before you could start driving extra, you had to know every day, there was no, you know, Hey, just put it into, you know, GPS maps and, and those type of things. And you had to know your streets and the cross streets and, and brake numbers and yeah. hydro locations. And, uh, and it probably that little bit of that old school really instilled in how I approached training as a, as a boss and how as I approach training uh, as just an instructor today. Yeah. And I think it should be said, and I don't think it's talked about enough, but like, you know, training doesn't have to be putting hose in the street every day, right? It doesn't have to be a half hour, an hour. I mean, it can be as simple as a chalkboard in the kitchen. And instead of flipping through your phone or looking at, you know, watching television, you know, it's a conversation about the job. I mean, I think that there's so much merit and a lot of great training comes out of those inopportunity, those times, those opportunities, you know, that weren't planned, you know, and where you like that bumper talk. I think there's so much value in that. It's. I think that's. We probably got more out of those things, or call. You know, we did. Every fire got hot washed at the scene, and I carried that with me, uh, moving through the rank. You know, going going back to the station, going back to bed, 
and waiting two shifts or another shift when guys are off to have that conversation about that incident. It was so much better while it was fresh yeah. and the building was in front of us and we could say, man, we should have stretched here. We should have positioned here. We should have bended over here instead of where we did. All those things came into play. And it was always amazing to me that to, you know, the next shift you'd have another job and you would, you would remember, oh man, it's that same, you know, one story, single family dwelling. I got heavy fire Charlie side and how we would make our stretches solely based on what we learned from the previous incident and our conversations after that incident. Yeah, I, th- I agree. Yeah, go ahead. Not every train has got to be a two-hour yeah. beat down laying out a thousand feet of five inch. It's to you know, guys, adult learners learn better in short, intense sessions than they do long, drawn out. You know, here's five thousand pieces of paper to review sessions. This is not how we learn. Yeah, and I I think one of the struggles we have. I'm just making a note real quick, but I think one of the struggles we have, where you were in Atlanta doing twenty twenty five runs on a normal day. That means there's fire duty, too. And mm-hmm. I think part of the problem, though, Todd, and, and I'd love to get your take on this, is that we do train it. But what you had the ability to do was on that one room off on the Charlie side on a one story walk in, right? Like, a, a you know, a flat, right? Or whatever you guys called it there. You know, you could you could put your training to work often because you you pushed a line through that morning for a fire you come back later that night or the next tour and you have a fire in a similar building again you can you can now take the critique in the conversation and say you know what i'm gonna i'm gonna flip it up this time we're gonna stretch this way this time or you can you can put your critique and training back to the streets and put the hose back on the street to get back to fires again but a lot of people don't have that opportunity and i think that's where training starts to miss is that we train 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 and it's hard to keep the excitement level for training at a place where guys believe that they're going to put that to work soon right you see what i'm saying like the the everyday versus the the not everyday it's hard yes and that's where officers, instructors, you, you, you can't just come in and say, sometimes I think we, we do, we've gotten into this really bad habit. Some of this technology driven, what we're doing is checkbox training. We're getting sure. our ISO hours and our research hours, right. but are, are we truly learning anything? And I get, we have to have those check. I know we got to have X amount of this and X amount of that. I, I, I understand that part of it. However, good instructors, are innovative too they yes. you've got to find ways and we would do things in my company where you know i'd go buy you know 50 dollars worth of wire and i'd string wire in our in our locker room and we would run evolutions and, and escape may days and transmitting may days yeah. and you know it, it it this takes a it, ta- it takes some imagination it takes work on the instructor's part to make it a solid experience right. that guys will remember if they ever find themselves in those situations. And yeah, it is harder when you're not going to a lot of work, trying to maintain that passion, maintain, yeah. you know, that, but the message I always try to send to those organizations is maybe it's today. I don't, I can't tell you when the next fire is, but I can tell you this, the next fire is coming. It's definitely coming. And are you going to be ready if we have two kids trapped on the second floor of a well-involved job. Are we, have we done VES? Do we know how to remove a victim? Yeah. And I, I you think know, those are critical. And I think that's a huge part of the conversation is that part of the training conversation has to be very much that, you know, we can't continue to push our guys, push, 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 and not give them the mental game to go with it. Meaning 
The next one could be anytime. I know we're not going to fires every day. Like, I look at it this way. Break it down even simpler than kids trapped. Forcible entry. Just conventional forcible entry with a set of irons, right? Mm-hmm. Guys, most guys in their first dues don't force doors every day. You go to a more urban setting and forcing doors is much more common because they're checking for more food on the stove, water leaks, things like that, where, you know, buildings, you know, the neighborhood, all these different variables allow you to maybe force a couple doors a tour. Whereas right. like where I ride, you know, we don't force doors every day because we just, we keep, not that we can't, it's, it's the neighborhood doesn't dictate it and we have other ways to investigate and things like that. Right. So, you know, so we, we lack the ability to force a door every shift, whereas other places do. And so when you train on forcible entry, I feel like the, the part of the training has to be the mental aspect to say, like, I know we don't get to do this every day, but when it's game time, it is imperative. And we have, to, we have to educate our people about that idea of it. And it, one of the things that and I tell, and I, and I tell the story, or not the story, but I, I make this comment a lot, where FDNY is showing up and they're throwing – hundreds of resources in a very short period yes. of time at a building that three station fire department they're it they they have no margin for error that's right uh and in atlanta if my first three engines and three trucks can't get it done i can just hit the easy button and get three more engines three more ladders three more engines three i can just i can keep hitting that button eventually i won't get the right amount of people there to put that fire out three put the three station fire department you're it you have to be not good. You've got to be spot on great every time you roll out the door. That is such a good I, point, Todd. I take pride in that with the guys when I'm training them. That, that's such a pride thing to me. Um, again, you may go a week, month, uh, three months without sure. that job, but damn it, when we hit it, we've got to be spot on. We don't have, we can't make mistakes. We've got to be great. I love that. And I think that's part of the real conversation that training companies need to have. And even guys in the fire service, they need to recognize and realize. And as you train and and travel more, you see the differences in departments and makeup of departments. And, you know, I mean, I I talk to people from all corners of the American Fire Service, from the most rural one engine for 40 square miles in rural Kansas to, you know, downtown New York City, like, and everything in between. And there's not one size fits all. And I think for you and your training company, then, it's important, right, that you have to recognize who you're training, how you're teaching, because ultimately, most of us are doing more with less. Yeah, uh, 100%. So one of the things that we I started doing years ago, uh, it, it could be, you know, a, a rural department in Idaho, brain, you know, once needs a training group sure. to come in. First thing I tell the chief or the training boss who's ever making that initial contact is send me all your all your policies, your procedures, your staffing, and then the programs we do are specifically written based on what they do nice. and what they can do. Yes, there's no reason to go in and do you know engine company ops with seven guys on a hose line because that's not their world. So yeah. we focus on their world and, and make the adjustments. And, and, you know, I've worked in that world. I've worked in that world, you know, as much as I have in the urban setting. But starting off in a three-station combination department with trailers and single-family dwelling fires sure. and nothing but volunteers after 5 o'clock and on weekends. And you may have fires where there's seven people and you may have fires where there's five of you. Yeah. Yep. 
And I was just going to say that, like, even if, you know, volunteer departments have their training night a week or whenever, you know, however often they do their departmental training, their drill night, and they might get 30 volunteers out. But if the fire comes in at, you know, 930 on a Monday morning, they might only have two or three guys on that engine. You need to train to the two or three guy level, not the drill night level of six or seven guys on the engine, because it's just not reality. No. And, but the, the, with, uh, with all the things we know now, um, and, and there's no reason for anybody to be ignorant about the, about fire and about smoke yes. and fire dynamics anymore. But there are things that two people can do at a fire to save property and, and most importantly, save people's lives by stretching lines. I don't care if they apply water on the outside. There's me and you, and it's just me and you, Jeremy. We're not going to stand there on the street and go, well, we're waiting for more guys. We're right. Yeah. Yeah. But if we don't train these guys on appropriate actions, then we're we're doing a disservice. Yeah, and you know, I I look at that too because the other the other part of training is not just training the skill set, but training the uh, the the mental aspect of how to take initiative, how to deploy your skills, when to use your skills, when not to have to ask for permission. I'm so tired of this stand around and wait for somebody to tell you what to do because that's the type of society we are today. And I'm seeing it on the fire ground all the time where guys are not taking initiative, where there's 15 jobs that need to be done, but nobody told them to go do it. And I, Mickey Farrell, a, a friend of both of ours, dear friend of both of ours, we both respect the hell out of him, love the guy. He talks about tempo all the time, right? And I think yeah. it's so important because tempo sets, tempo is the pace of the fire in the fire ground. And when you don't have people, it's like an orchestra, right? And when, when people don't get involved and know when to hit the right notes at the right time, the, the, the uh, music fails, right? It doesn't sound the same. So, so how do we teach or how do you guys do it? When you go out and you get the SOGs of these departments, you go in there, you write together, you put together a curriculum or, or action plan for training for a couple of days with a department. Do you take that into consideration about not just the, the skill set, but the when and how to use the skill set? Yeah, a hundred percent because there, there are certain things we're going to do at every fire <clears throat> and, you know, getting I, I hate the term back to basics. We should be masters of the basic yes. skills because there's certain skill sets we're using every time we roll out the door and putting on your gear properly, SCBA properly, masking up quickly, forcible entry, stretching lines, uh, hose line management. These are skills we're using all the time. And so when we're looking at that tempo, we're looking at starting from point A, which means getting you know out of the kitchen, onto the rig, getting off the rig. If I put guys should be able to make certain decisions, but they're going to make the decisions much quicker, much more effectively if one, they're allowed to. And two, if they've drilled on it, that it's second nature to them. And even even today when I'm getting ready to go do if I'm doing uh, bailout teaching, I, I get everything set up hours before the students and I go through my procedures again. I want to make sure that, yeah. you know, I keep my skill sets up. Um so as there's no reason for me to I don't teach by telling I want to show and then refine their skill sets and everybody's going to have a different different level of skill sets and different body types and, and body that, mechanics and is that a big sets deal. the tempo of the training event exactly tempo matters right I mean if you're fumbling there's no, there's a lack of confidence then right if me and you have to have a conversation on where we're going to set the base of a ladder up at yes 
that tempo is immediately destroyed. It should be an automatic thing that we know how far we want that base set up and where we're going to place the tip of that ladder without yeah. having a three-minute conversation about hand positioning and yelling out, you know, overhead obstructions. Those are things we should have in our mental makeup. As I'm approaching the building, I should be looking, hey, we're going to use that window. There's no wires. You know, we're going to place the, uh, the tip of the ladder below the windowsill because we're executing a rescue. Um, it's, it's easy to say we do BES, but have you drilled on every procedure that goes along with BES? And that includes the mask up, taking the glass. You know, uh, a lot of guys go immediately start sounding the floor. You know, we, we've used the simulation where we have a victim below the window. They sound the floor and we immediately stop and say, well, start again. You just crushed the victim's head. Yeah. You know, yeah. little things like that, again, that's that, that's that repetitive, some of it's repetitive and I get that that can be hard, but if we don't have good tempo, like Mickey speaks of, and we don't have the skill sets uh, and have that mastery of our basic sets, it's going to make the real difficult fires uh, a lot more difficult. If you're teaching bailout training and they don't know how to set up the ladder, <laughs> you don't have to worry about bailout. We got to worry about other things before we get the bailout. I agree. Yeah, it's, it's also, a bad day. Yeah, no, no doubt. It's also teaching and training the mindset. Like, I, I love when you look. I, I'm a chestnut checkers guy, right? And, mm -hmm. and for me, it's like I love looking at a fire ground, and what I can do very well in my head is anticipate two, three, four moves ahead, right? And it's that mindset. It's that tempo. It's, it's that ability to say that, okay, if I need to get there, I need to do this, this, and this to get there. And if my job is to support the engine stretching that line, I need to take the initiative and know what the next four steps are that have to be done to get that line in place, and that's if that falls on me. That's yeah. what I think in training we need to do more of is that mindset thinking of putting yourselves in the situation or putting yourself on that fire ground and understanding that you have the hands-on sets and rep skills that you've been working on, but you have to know when to apply it and at what time to apply it. And that, and that goes right back to what are you doing every day at the firehouse? You, it, we did more training coming off of, you know, the, the, you know, the routine alarms, you know, yeah. the smells and bells, right. the EMS. And just stopping, and you know, right as you exit the building, you get the patient loaded in the med unit, and just stopping the rookie and asking him, "Tell me some things you see about this house or this building." And you know, want him to already in his mindset see that we've got severe exposures on Bravo and Delta sides, that uh, that the house has gasoline siding on it, yeah. and that the door has you know four deadbolts on the on the on the burglar bars and. If we can get our guys to see that on the front end, they're not going to be. I, I'm always amazed when guys are shocked about when they see something. <laughs> well, we've been on the street 40 times this month. <laughs> yeah. Why are you shocked? Yeah. Oh, my God. I say that all the time. I'm like, there's no way you should be surprised by this. Exactly. You know, I love that. I love that. Well, it's cool. It's cool to hear this, right? Because, you know, for and what I what really excites me, and I, you and I talked before we started about a couple of areas we wanted to go, and training obviously is a big part of it. Um, but what I, what I really enjoyed about that is a couple things you said, and I'd love to, for you to speak about it a little bit more. When you take on the responsibility of teaching and training and instructing, you got to make sure you're squared away. And, and when you talked about when you go to rural Idaho, you ask for their SOGs so you can build a program around them. Or, mm -hmm. or you said uh, if you're going to do bailout training, you spend an hour or two before the training to make sure that your own you know, skills, 
mindset is all squared away and that you're you're dialed in so you're teaching correctly and you have every little nuance fixed and ready to go. Those are things that speak to character and and to the importance you put on training. And for you, I mean, it's a really dialed in passion for you to to spread the word. A hundred percent. And it's not the, the training we do. And and I know we, we've got this uh, big um, uh, me versus them and them first. And those are great catchphrases. And I firmly believe it is about them first, but you can also, you also have to have, again, you were mentioning about the mental aspects of the job. Sure. The training that a, a 28 year old father of two is doing isn't just for them, but it's also the, for his family at home and the better prepared he is to save a life. It's also making him better prepared to protect his own life while doing his job. And I think that message, you know, we, we say it, but we don't always promote it. I, one of the things I do in officer development, I do a lot of officer development classes. And I, you know, when you ask a, a new officer, what he's in charge of, he starts running the gamut. I'm in charge of the fire truck. And I'm in charge of their safety and I'm in charge of reports and I want them coming through the door, remembering that that man on his back of his, his back step guy has a wife and two kids at home, expecting him to come home the next morning. And that's where that training element has to also be part of our mental makeup too. Yes. I'm training VES to be able to get in there and get that elderly person off the second floor but to make sure that we make that rescue, we have to be great at our skills. We have to master those skill sets. That also protects you to make sure you're going home to your wife and your two kids. I Yeah, there's so much there, right? And and I look at it this way, too. Like, we have that, obviously, that obligation, right, to perform, perform a service that the public expects from us. And, and, and we cannot falter at that. And I look at that 28-year-old father of two, that if he wasn't given the opportunities or he didn't take the opportunity himself, meaning he didn't dial himself in, he doesn't attend training, he doesn't want to better himself and put himself in a position to be better, he's not going to be able to perform. But the other thing, too, is he might potentially put himself in harm's way. And when mm-hmm. you when you do that, right, I mean, inherently it's a dangerous job. We get that, right? But you know what? Most, you know, it, it's uh, it, it can be managed, right? Firegrounds are hectic, crazy, and dangerous. But with correct training and understanding of the fireground, unless something goes absolutely terribly wrong, which can happen but often does not, you know, we're going home. And, and, you know, and I wonder, and I think about like in my time in the fire service, how many like, holy shit, that was close. Right. And then you wonder like, (laughs) well, did we, did we not get jammed up because we recognized it? Was it pure luck or was it our training? Right. Like we recognized it because of our training. We've all had tons of close calls. I was on a, I was on a highway the other day, completely out of our, we had a rollover on fire in the woods. And then to the left of us is a five car pileup while we're stretching the line. Yeah. You know, and it's like and we all talked about it afterwards. And I said, you know, the I hate going up on the highway more now than ever. It never yeah. was a thought. And nowadays it scares the sh- I I think it's scarier than going on a fireground. You know what I mean? Like so we if you look at the numbers, we're we we have more guys injured and killed up on those. Those yeah. incidents that we do this, you know, a yes. single family dwelling. Yes. And yes. we have to be alert for those things. Atlanta had a guy almost lose his life. Uh, almost it's been right at two years, but he uh, 
the cars um, wasn't slowed down and lost control on wet roads. And this isn't like traffic time. This is early Sunday morning, which is even more dangerous. Yes. And hydroplaned and took his leg. So, Jesus. you know, this this father and, and family man and, and dedicated firefighter is, you know, now missing a leg yeah. uh, solely based on a two-car fender bender up on the interstate. Yeah. And, and that just goes to training. It's not just training for fire ground and VES and extinguishment and ventilation. I mean, it's as simple as learning where to properly position and, and having, having those conversations and training at the blackboard at the kitchen table to know and educate our chauffeurs and guys which, how to exit the apparatus on a busy highway. I mean, mm-hmm. I, you know, the other day it was, was not enjoy, and that's not the first time that's happened to me on the highway. You know, and so it's only a matter of time before an apparatus in my area gets impacted by a vehicle. It's just only yeah. a matter of time, you know? Only. Yeah, and it's and it's scary, right? So we have a duty and an obligation to get that 28-year-old father of two home, but he also has an obligation and duty to put in his time and effort to make sure that he gets home. And every, every, I don't care how big, how small, medium-sized fire department, you you, you have those guys that, are going to be, um, you know, they're not going to be the, the, the one percenters. They're not going to attend classes, not right. reading all the books that are out there. So that puts the responsibility back on the company officer, back on the training divisions, back on us as instructors uh, to try to reach them and find, you know, and that, that takes time. you got to invest your, you know, to be a good instructor, you have to invest time. And some, even, even some instructors don't always invest the time themselves and definitely, finding what will make, well, what motivates that individual. You know, when we go to conferences, those are the one percenters. Those guys are there. They want to learn. And, you know, I sometimes feel like I'm preaching to the choirs. Yeah. But when I go to a department, those are, that's where I get to make more of an impact sometimes because those guys, you know, there's going to be that, that group that, man, we got to go to this damn class. They brought this guy in. I don't know who the hell he is. <laughs> yeah. And those are the, the compliments I, I love when that guy at the end says, man, I really didn't want to come here today, but I learned this or that, man, I didn't know this. And thank you so much. Those are, those are great motivational moments fuel. for an instructor. Yeah. Yeah. To hear that you changed somebody who didn't want to be changed. A hundred percent. Right. But you found a way to get through to them or you found a way to share your passion, right? Because passion mm-hmm. is infectious. I don't care who you are. When I go to firehouses and talk to guys on the apron and stuff, like when we do our trips, you know, the the more older senior guys, they could give two shits, you know, who we are, why we're there, right? We're just somebody else just walking into the firehouse and talking to people, right? But I find after 10, 15 minutes of good, solid conversation where I'm asking a lot of questions and, and really building up their culture and talking about their department, you know who always comes over? The senior guy. And you know who always yeah. takes over the floor? The senior guy. And you know who starts telling the most stories? The senior guy. And I've had so yeah. many younger firemen be like, Jeremy, I've never heard that guy tell that story before. <laughs> and I'm like, because we gotta, we need more of this. We need, we want to promote conversation, promote each other by asking questions and boosting each other up, you know? And I, I think that's just, there's so much value in all of that. I really do. Oh, I do too. hundred percent. And so you got through to that guy at that training. So maybe his training officer or his captain or lieutenant or whoever's in charge of teaching him or training him on shift or departmentally, they, they're having a failed message. They haven't found a way to get through to that guy. Right. And so that's where attending training or bringing in an outside instructor is a breath of fresh air most of the time for their people. 
And it might reinvigorate that guy to say, you know what? I don't like like the training the captain's offering me. He's a dud, but like this guy, like Todd Edwards, I like this guy. What else does he have? Like he makes yeah. me feel good. He makes me want to do better. He makes me want to better the department. He he got me back, you know, back in. That's so powerful. So powerful. And I, I it, it, it's <clears throat> one one of the things. And you know, you know, I was kind of telling you that I never. You know, it's like set out 10 years ago, I'm going to have a training. Co- I had a training company because I, you know, for tax purposes and everything, sure. I just wanted to be out teaching. Right. You know, the, the, the work that has to go along with that, obviously, is just part of the part of the responsibility. But one of the first things uh, and, and, and I didn't even realize it, that somebody asked me what. So what's your what's your business motto? And what you know, and you, you see these company, these big, long mottos or big mission statements. And yeah. so we kind of, <laughs> we kind of went with something very simple for me um, in the way that, you know, that we conduct our business and the way we you know, handle our training sessions is that we take a very student first approach and the student first approach starts with the research and the background and development of the skills of what the, what's truly going to benefit the organization. The student first mindset means, Hey, if that kid needs three more reps, we're going to give them three more reps. If we need to be out there till 1030 at night, we're going to be out there at 1030 at night. So we take that approach. We don't base it on, well, you only hired us for four hours. Well, if they need six, they're getting six, you know, and that, and everybody that teaches with me knows that's our mindset. Yeah. There's no, you know, we're here for the day and maybe into the evening and maybe into the night. That's what it takes. Um, to but, make sure that that kid gets what he needs or that senior man needs one more time or shown one more different thing, that's what we're going to do. How difficult is it for you as an instructor, the owner of a training company, to leave a training conference or leave a department after doing a day or two of training and not feeling confident in the delivery of your product? Meaning they didn't get it, they weren't proficient, and and I'm sure it happens, right? And you can't fix everything overnight, but you can no. see progress. But that's got to be really hard and frustrating for you guys to have to pick up and leave and not feel like you've left a bigger impact, right? Is that hard? It, it is. It, it doesn't happen very often. And a lot of times I'll, I'll sit down, uh, just finished up uh, with a, a local department. And, you know, there were some things that we that I wanted to see better and we just didn't have the time you know there's only so many reps and sets you're going to get in one day with you know 40 students yeah right but sitting down afterwards with the training you know the people assigned to training uh their ops chief going here's some things you guys got to go back and work on and you know some of that responsibility goes back to that organization and to those members um and that's that that's a big deal that you know just pick it up going well we've had enough for the day we're leaving Right. Uh, that never happens. We, yeah. you know, yeah. we always review and hot wash even our, you know, first thing we do is review ourselves. Yes. And then we review with the organization, say, man, we saw this and you guys are on the right track, but this was, here's your next couple training sessions you guys can be focused on. And I, and that's what I love about this. And that's why I was kind of setting up this, con- framing this conversation this way, because ultimately you can, you can come in as an outsider, perform, give them all the tools and, and, and reps that you can within the time frame you have, right? And, and what's appropriate. But ultimately the ownership goes back to, the individuals in that fire department after you leave. 
And yes, for, exactly. for you to give them that framework then to say, listen, I think you guys need a little more help in ladders and, and in uh, ventil- rooftop ventilation, like things like that. It gives them a, a framework, but then the responsibility falls back on them. And mm-hmm. I think it's so important, though, that they take ownership of that. And I, I'd like to think that most do. If they're willing enough to bring in an outside company or agency to do their training, you'd like to think that after you're long gone, they're still following that framework to ensure that they're bettering their people. Yeah, and we've seen that. I mean, you know, uh, places that I may go to, you know, every year or even twice in a year's time. Um, you can see, you can see their passion and how much they gain from that, uh, that session or whatever, yeah. you know, whatever, whether it's all sort of development or skill sets, uh, you know, I think, uh, the, be able to have those conversations and then see these guys out. I mean, we recently had, uh, a department we did and we had like five of their members come to a pretty large training event we did. And one of the guys had actually struggled and he immediately signed up for this next train event. He saw his struggles and wanted to get better. So those are those impact moments. That's huge. That's yeah. huge. Cause it's so easy for that guy to be like, screw this. I'm not yeah. this. I'm not going to get it. This sucks. Like, ah, I'm not going to use that. I don't, it's not a big deal. You know, he could very easily sign off and, and walk oh. away from it, but that's yeah. huge. Yeah. Yeah. And he showed up two weeks later at the at a, uh, an event we did, and uh, two solid days of grinding uh, from everything from hose line management to VES skills to searching in closed hallways under shitty conditions. He and he and he was there the whole time, never checked out, and and you could see you could see him steadily getting better and understanding you know where his you know deficiencies were. I love that. I absolutely love watching people grow. <laughs> I do because I know how much I've grown, right? And I'm still growing. 28 years in the fire service, I'm still growing, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm still finding things that I could be better at. I'm still finding things that I want to be better at. There's, I have plenty of deficiencies. Trust me, you could ask my wife; she'll list them. And but there's plenty, there's plenty of things that you can better yourself. But you got to have a real, you got to be able to look in the mirror and have a real conversation with yourself. And I think that's where you find growth. Right. Is like when you can accept responsibility and accountability for yourself and your deficiencies or even what you're good at, accept responsibility for it. And once you do, it then allows you to get better. It allows you to dig in and say, I need to do better here. I recognize that. And how do I do that? That's what makes for a better fireman, a better human being and a better fire company and a better service to be provided to our civilians. I mean, I just I believe that wholeheartedly. I, I agree with you. And I think that I love what you said about you're still growing. It's one of those things, again, that we, you know, talk about in a lot of our trainings that, man, as soon as you think you got something, something new is going to smack you in the face. A hundred percent. You know, and that's, to me, that's one of the cool, I tell everybody of that passion. That's the, one of the coolest things about the fire service. There's going to be something new tomorrow. Yeah. And it, I'm just amazed, even like technology wise. Uh, battery-powered saws, sure. uh, battery-powered uh, extrication equipment now. And, you know, I know those are, it seems uh, superficial, but when you lug an 80-pound hearse tool off a gas generator, you know. <laughs> That's right. It's a night and day difference, brother. Absolutely. Exactly. You know what I love about that, real quick, is how fast, though, 
like hydraulics and battery operated equipment has come into the fire service. Because if you think yeah. of like the evolution of the thermal imaging camera, like when I was a probie, we got our first camera, like the first couple of years in the fire department, right? 25 years ago or so. And it, and I feel like thermal imaging took a long time, not only to catch on, but for technology to keep ramping up to make it better and better. And now all of a sudden you look at battery tools and literally four years ago they were new and now it's like they're everywhere. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's crazy yeah. the speed in which technology is becoming immersed into the fire, you know, into our fire society <laughs> today. Yeah, and I think it's, I, I think there's upside to all those things. Sure. And there's downsides to 100%. those things. That it's kind of like uh, how e-training got so big so fast. Yes. And, and it, th- there's merit to some of those, but there's also a lot more merit in five of us sitting on the back of the engine after a fire. And having the real true hardcore conversations about an incident and not everything's got to be computer driven. Um, Personality those, matters. You, oh God. Yes. When you make it personal and you can feel the person, look them in the eyes and, and feel the weight of the world, you know, when you're talking to somebody, it you can't do that through a computer. No, 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 not at all. No. no. And I think, uh, and it's, you know, going back to that growth thing, yeah. I love when, you know, and one of my, one of the guys I watch and one of my mentors and one of the people I'm just blown away by is uh, Bill Gustin. Yeah, sure. I mean, he, I've seen him sit, I've, he's sat in my lectures before I've seen him in other people's lectures and walk out with, you know, three pages of notes and, yeah. Um, just recently at H rock this past week, I've got to hear, uh, chief Frank Lee from FDMY sure. again. Yeah. And, uh, Powerful. I've got four he's, pages of notes. He's I was so looking good. at this morning going, man, that was so cool to how they're doing this and yeah. how they do this and, um, yeah. things that you can apply, you know, sure. to your training and to your organizations. Well, I was going to say that. I mean, I sat next to you at that conference in Texas and I was moderating. So I was up and down out of my chair the whole day or whatever, um, but you did your you did your uh, lecture, and then you sat back down next to me, opened your computer, and you were banging away. You were actually in between lecturers. You were banging out notes on your own class that you were developing. You were developing something yeah. else. But then you were also keeping notes, and it was cool yeah. to watch you keep looking up and and watching. And I, I I'm very good at watching and taking in this everything around me to really understand like where. The, the psyche of people, how dialed in they are, who's who, like, it's just what I, I'm very good at that. And I was watching and it was just, it's, I've spoken about it before. It is really powerful when a guy demands an hour and a half to two hours of everyone's attention at the front of the room as the guy doing a conference. And then 10 minutes later, he sits down and he's the student. Like mm-hmm. that is super powerful when you think about that because he's good enough to lecture, but he's still learning every second he can get. Yeah. And it, it, it was, it, it's, I tell students, I, I learned something, not just from the other lecturers, but I'm always, I love how much I get to learn from other students because yeah. your experiences are different than my experiences. Yeah. And, you know, I guarantee you've had incidents that I've not had. Yep. And maybe that incident, I can go, man, I can apply this to something else down the road, you know, and, and share that and develop something off of that. Um, and those are just, just, again, it's one, if guys would just open up about it and open their minds to it, they'd be, I think even the best of the best would be amazed what they, what they still don't know sometimes. I agree with you. I agree with you. And I, I think that when you, when you think you have it all figured out, and I think when you think that you know it all and you're, 
you're at a different level, I think you're you're in trouble. And I think yeah. we're oh. we're always learning and we always have to learn from each other. And that can be through a simple conversation or sitting in and taking notes in an hour and a half class. So yeah, yeah. I agree. Ty, let's do this. I want to pivot a little bit because we're the t- clock's ticking, man. The conversation's so good. We're already like forty five minutes in. Um <laughs> Fire Life Training Associates. One, the name, Fire Life, which then <laughs> leads me to believe and I know because I've as many times as I've met you, I've met Kathy, your wife. And so I know you guys are basically a package deal, and I know how important she is to you and how you guys do so much together. But your family, Fire Life, is, is give me the name of the company I think represents you and your family, no? Uh, uh, 1,000%. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Talk to me a little bit about that and how much, and, and you know, working with you, because you have your kids involved too, I believe. Um, yeah, my, my son works for me. Yeah. Um, and, uh, it was our, my wife met me. I was already uh, on the job in, in back in Ohio when we, where we met at initially. And so she's been immersed in this as much as I have, obviously. Sure. And so our, you know, when we were kind of toying with names and, you know, I always see beach life and lake life. And yeah, I was yeah. like, man, the, the, you know, those are hobbies. This is actually our life. Yes. Uh, you know, and that, that's how that, I mean, it was totally random. And I was like, oh, the, let's do that. And so as time has gone on, my wife has formed her own group of fire wives. And yeah. one of the coolest thing, and there's, and w- when she started, she found other groups that had kind of started this. They've kind of come together and uh, these wives would be at these big conferences and, you know, sitting in the room waiting on their husband to get done and, they saw this and said, this is stupid. We should be together. And yes. it, it was amazing how her and a couple other ladies one day in the hotel, of the Hilton started drinking champagne. And uh, next thing I know, they have a Facebook page and a website. And <laughs> I love it. I love it. I, it brings such value though. Their focus is so much, it, one of the, it, 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 she was the maddest I've ever seen her get is that um, a wife thought that it was just like a, you know, women sitting around bashing their husbands. Right. And it is nothing even the, close to that. It the was husband hating club. Yeah. <laughs> and one of the, and it happened, and it was, we've been talking more and doing more. One of the funniest things that happens is that nothing ever happened at our house when I was off duty. As soon as I went to work, a tree would fall on the roof, or the yeah, power right, would right, go right, out, right. or a kid would get sick. <laughs> sure, yeah, that's how it works. And you know, th- those shared experiences of how they've overcome and how they adjusted, and uh, dealing with um, you know husbands who have suffered and, and still suffer today with you know post traumatic stress, and all these little connections um, have really formed a, a very cool bond with. Uh, uh, my friends and instructors and their wives and sure. wives throughout the country, Amanda Moore, yeah. seeing what her and Corley are doing together, mm-hmm. Chief Ike and Jessica doing together. And there, there's a need for that. There truly is a need. And we got to present this year together as a family, me, my wife and my son. That's fun. And it's, it's not about us. I mean, we tell our little bit of the story, but uh, the one of the main messages is that Hey, we all go through a lot of the same exact things and how you deal with it's going to be different for everybody. Yeah. But you know, my, the perspective of 
a son who grew up in this and dad being gone on Christmas and dad not on vacation with the family because he's working an overtime shift or he's at a conference and all these things sure. really, uh, it just, it's just part of it. I mean, even today, and it was funny, you know, people ask how we do it now and we still do, we still have, it's a new struggle. Instead of going to a fire station now, I'm going out, you know, going to this event or teaching here and then coming home for a day, then teaching here. And, um, you know, we, we still struggle with that life and balance and, and all that, even today, this is, you know, 40, 40 years in the fire service for me, but together we've been, we've been married for, well, good thing. She's not up, uh, like 35 <laughs> years now. Oh, it'll be 35 years this year. <laughs> yeah. I love what I, what I love about it, not only involving your family, right? Because they are a part of the equation, but community you go what what's happening there is you're building community and it allows for you to be at your best right because if things aren't good at home or we're struggling personally at home because the job does affect whether career or volunteer fire the fire service affects our home life it affects our wives our our husbands and our kids yes. hands down and so when when you can educate and bring them in and give them a place like if you're going to conferences and yet there's an outlet for your wife to join you, right? It, it yep. makes it a better, ex I would like to think it's going to make it a better experience because one, it will give her some camaraderie and friendship and a community while at the com conference. But two, it's like-minded people. It's people that are saying like, hey, you know, uh, like my wife, Terry, like, hey, Terry, I, like, I totally get it. I just went through that, you know, last month. And, you know, here's some things to think about. Like it's building community. And if, if we're going to be on our best, we need everybody around us to be on their best. And it's just super important. And I think what you're doing there and, and what your wife, Kathy, is doing um, is powerful. And your son, you know, and so on. I, I think it's very powerful. So fire life makes sense, man. Uh, and I, I, I give you a lot of a lot of credit. And, and um, you know, I think it's a wonderful thing that you guys have recognized the importance of bringing family together like that. It's great. Yeah, and, it, and it's it, it's a it's an all it, it will always be uh, I don't want to say a battle, but the the passion for the job, the passion for the brothers and sisters out there, and now seeing you know the passion that they've been able to develop is truly amazing. It's fun to watch them get together, um, and literally you know from Corley Moore's wife, uh, uh, we have they have a, a lady who. Her, she's a psychiatrist and, you know, her husband's gone through PTSD and she's able to share these stories. Yeah. And it's, it's truly, I think it's, it's going to make a difference. Yep. Uh, for somebody down the road and, you know, and that's always how I kind of look at it. If we're, if we help one person, if one family or one husband and wife stay together yeah. because of something they learned, um, either through my, you know, through my wife or through, you know, my son, hear my son's story. Um, it's a big difference that now they have something to relate to. That's not just them. They're not the only ones going through all this, and it's truly not. <laughs> yeah, and 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 the other side of it too. I'll be honest. Like just a little backstory on me. Years ago, I was involved in my family business before we sold it, right? And so I was running the family business every day, and I was working ten, twelve hour days, right? And then going to the firehouse yeah. after that, right? And my wife would resent me, and she would be angry with me, and she wouldn't understand what it was like to work in a family business. So things change. I said, why don't you come work for me for a year or two? And, and I get along very well with my wife, but we were literally at each other's throats all the time. So she came to work for me. And literally after about six months, she said to me out of the clear blue, she goes, 
I'm sorry for everything that I've done over the years to, to push back on you. She goes, now that I work with you and I see what your daily day looks like, what your hustle and the grind looks like for you, she's like, I never realized what you truly did or what you dealt with every day. And she goes, yeah. I have a whole new appreciation for you, the family dynamic, the family business. And she goes, I can understand why there were times you were disconnected or I can understand why you had to stay late or go in early often. And it made for a better home life. Include your spouse, you know, educate them and let them know what you're dealing with and what the job looks like. It matters. It, it's a... It, it's the difference it makes, I think, and one of the things that, you know, and this is all my wife's stuff, is having the involvement, not keeping the fire service separate from the family and actually almost marrying that, that yes. up. We are married, both our, you know, our family life, our home life, our fire lives, uh, our conferences. I mean, she doesn't go everywhere now. I go to some places. No, she's I like, get it. Yeah, yeah. I, I'll yeah. pass. <laughs> you know, so. <laughs> I get that, but, too. Sure. Sure. But there's a lot of places, she, you know, she'll travel with me and not every event. Obviously, yeah. You know, she has, she has all her own stuff going on. And, um, but she's, when she's there, uh, she becomes, she's, she's integral to everything running because there's certain things I, I just want to teach and she handles all the crap I can't deal with. Yeah. Yeah. It's and, a good partnership for most, sure. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Definitely. Saves me a lot of headache. Cause I'm like, oh, I don't want to deal with getting hotels for 50 people. Oh, I got it. She'll take care of that. That's awesome. Yeah, well, that's that's great, man. And that that's good. Everybody needs a good partner. And uh and I think it's it's a partnership, right? And that's how it works. And uh some days it's fifty fifty, some days it's seventy thirty, sixty forty. It it varies yep. every single day. And I think that's what a yep. partnership's all about. So well listen, brother, Fire Life Training Associates, I mean, you are certainly the definition of of that. And, uh, I thank you so much for joining me today, Todd. It was just awesome to catch up with you. Uh, I thought this was a fantastic conversation and, uh, I thank you very much for taking an hour out of your day to chat with me and our community. It's awesome. Oh, no, thank you. I, I appreciate the opportunity, man. I really do. I, 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 and fortunately, uh, I'll talk fire any day, all day. Hell yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Well, this is this is what I enjoy about what we're doing because we're picking a, we're kind of staying on script with a topic, and instead of getting into the you know the weeds of like your career and all that, like we could talk about that anytime, right? This is like let's sure. pick a couple topics and just go, and I think it brings a lot of value to the listener and to the to our community. So, thank you, brother. I appreciate you. Where can people reach out to you, get a hold of you, uh, and so on? If you and if you have anything coming up or conferences or anything you want to you want to pitch? Yeah, we've got uh, we, we have a lot coming up. Best way to keep up with us is obviously email emailing. I'm a, I'm anal retentive about looking and answering emails. Cool. <laughs> so, uh, it's uh, Todd Edwards, the number 6 at yahoo.com. And then we have a web page, uh, which is firelifetrainingassociates.com. Awesome. Awesome. Well, brother, thank you. I know you have a couple conferences listed on there. I was on the website, uh, I think, last night I was on there poking around, getting a little information on you. But uh, there are conferences listed. And uh, I will tell you this. If you haven't met Todd Edwards, you need to do so. Uh, the guy's super passionate about what he's doing. And uh, what a great conversation today. Brother, thank you for joining me. I appreciate you. And uh, stay right there. I'm just going to sign off, and then I'll come right back to you, okay? All right. Sounds good. Thank awesome. you. Thanks again, Todd.
Everyone, thanks Bye, for buddy. yeah, thanks for tuning in for another episode of the National Fire Radio podcast. Take this conversation, take it back to the firehouse, and talk about it. Because as we talk about the job, we're making the job better. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you at the next one. Jeremy, National Fire Radio.